Hello, we're back with another edition of the Deacon's Roundtable. This is Deacon Greg Webster from the St. Raphael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. And with me is Deacon Richard Hudzik, the Vicar of Deacons for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Deacon Mike Alandi from St. Mary of the Annunciation Parish in Mundelein. And Dave Egan, formerly of Victory Lakes in Lindenhurst, but now residing in Tennessee. Our guest today is Sister Sarah Butler, uh, former professor and, and uh, noted theologian who uh, is going to talk with us today on the issue of women deacons, women in priesthood. Uh, we've heard it in the news so much, and uh, we just want to talk about the issues and have a better understanding informing our conscience. So, Sister Sarah, thank you for joining us today. I'm good. very glad to be with you. <laughs> so, uh, so, Sister, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how, how you got into this business? Well, I... I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. I joined the Missionary Servants of the Most Blessed Trinity, sometimes called Trinitarian Sisters, and I was sent to school because uh, we were, at that point, starting a junior college for our sisters, and I was going to be in the faculty. And um, so I was able to get a good theological education early on, and then uh, the, the junior college uh, disappeared, sisters went somewhere else, and, and then I was asked to find the position. And after working for a long time in the Diocese of Mobile with adult education, Mobile, Alabama, uh, I was invited to, uh, I was elected to our, our community leadership, and after that, I was invited to be some part of some um, dialogues, ecumenical dialogues. And that, that led to the fact that I was uh, asked by the United States bishops to be uh, on a committee uh, not only for the ecumenical dialogue, but also a pastoral letter on women's concerns. This pastoral letter was never issued. You might remember it's a long, long story, but uh, as I got into it, I was then uh, invited by Bishop Imish uh, at that time in Joliet to join the faculty at Mandelin. And so when I when I got there, I had my education, but I never had really taught at a graduate level. But I was able to get onto the uh, faculty at the Mandelin Seminary, and I loved it. I was out there about 14 years. And while I was there, this is a 19, like starting 1989, a big issue for the students was the ordination of women. Do you want me to just keep going? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so, I mean, that was, that was the issue before them because it hadn't been uh, formally decided, you know, it hadn't been uh, settled by papal letter yet. So this was a great issue, and the young men were concerned about being, you know, part of some kind of sexist uh, institution, and they were uh, not sure they should be ordained, and there was really a great deal of struggle around that, even on the faculty, uh, trying to figure out what to say and how to plan. And uh, so I decided to take it on myself to try to work it out. And I had all this experience with the nine years on the Pastoral Letter for Women's Committee. So I, I knew what the feminist arguments were, and that's when I, I began to try to develop a kind of critique of some of the argumentation and to defend the uh, church's formal you know, tradition on uh, women's ordination. So that, if, I, uh, if I remember correctly, ordination. Sister, did you, you started out in a position of uh, being in favor of women's ordination, is that correct? Well, that's right, yes. So uh, there was another era, <laughs> I skipped a little piece there, um, where I was active in the Catholic Theological Society of America, and I was chair of a committee that was studying the ordination of women. At that point, I, I thought there was no issue, no problem. Also, I was on the Anglican, that is, Episcopalian Catholic dialogue right before they made a decision to ordain women in the Episcopal Church. So all during that period, I thought there was no obstacle and I argued in favor of it, and I was active in the Women's Ordination Conference. But uh, it was when I got to the, when I got on the committee the, for the Bishop's Commission for a Pastoral Letter on Women's Concerns, I really came face to face with the, the feminist argument. I mean, I'm talking about a, a secular feminist or a feminist argument that didn't take into consideration the whole of the church's tradition. I came face to face with that uh, over and over again with the women who were angry and upset, uh, thinking that they were being discriminated against. So I began little by little to um, take a deeper look at this. And uh, then I, as I was trying to defend it uh, for the students, I, I came to the conclusion that uh, I had been mistaken earlier and that I was just wrong about it and I had to change my mind. So I, uh, I did that and I tried to, I tried to 
established that publicly in print, but I, I only had one magazine that would carry my articles. The others, uh, really, I couldn't, I couldn't get published uh, to, to explain why I changed my mind. So I just went ahead and, and kept working on it and um, writing a little essay every year uh, for the students uh, trying to explain what the issues were. So that was, uh, it took a long time, but when in 1994, Pope John Paul, Pope St. John Paul, uh, wrote this episodic letter, you know, Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, letter on the ordination, on sacred ordination, and uh, priestly ordination. And that kind of settled it, I mean, publicly at least. And it did, really did change the, the nature of the problem for the students. I mean, after that, they were much uh, more relaxed about uh, what they were actually preparing for because it really had to do with the, the nature of the priesthood, you know. So, so uh, at that point, I got a little more, uh, I, I continued to work on my defense. <laughs> so when you you said you had this issue was was, was playing at Mundelein at the time, would you say, did you have any, like, Sacred Heart, all the other major seminaries, were they going through the same issues? Was this unique to Chicago, yes. or was it? Yeah, I, I think all of them were. I think because the people who were uh, in charge at the seminary, wasn't they weren't sure whether the bishops were going to come down in favor or against it, and they they weren't sure what the, you know what the Pope was going to say, even though there had been a publication from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith back in nineteen uh, whatever it was sixty seventy six that there had been a you know this uh, a letter saying that this was not admissible and that the Catholic Church didn't think it was possible, but uh, there was still it was it was being treated as an open question by theologians. And I think the bishops didn't want to get on the wrong side of the issue, and they were very, very, very cautious, you know. <laughs> and uh, so uh, it was really uh, it was something you just had to argue for. Pope John Paul was very clear about it, but his teaching was not well received in the United States and in other English-speaking countries and other places also. So that it was not uh, popular to, to defend the tradition it actually it was a very unpopular <laughs> so um, it, it took me a long time to feel like I had enough of a, and had a large enough picture of what was at stake to try to write a, a book about it so eventually you know I put out little articles and then eventually wrote a book about the Catholic Church's teaching um, the reservation of the priesthood to men and I also included the sections about how the church's teaching had evolved about women and men and women together and so on. So I, I tried to explain this was not a, not based on some um, outmoded view of women. So I, I got all that pretty much together for the a book that they published uh, from the Mundelein Press. Sister, sister you, you, you used a word, um, this is uh, Richard, I just, uh, yeah. maybe, the, maybe this is a cul-de-sac, uh, it's yeah. certainly a... Uh, it's certainly a tangent, but you use the word admissible, and yeah. um, I, I'm curious about that word because we we've heard the word inadmissible recently <laughs> yeah. in terms yeah. of capital punishment. Is that is that a term of art? That's uh, is that is that an English no, translation I of a precise? Don't. Oh, okay. You're no, just it, I I just I, I don't know how, why I happen to use it. But <laughs> okay, it's, I was, it's I was it's hoping not a theological for the logical term. It's not a term of art. No. Uh, the problem that's the problem with inadmissible nobody seems to know exactly oh, okay. how that I was ranks as a as an authoritative word you know, I was hoping you were going to tell me authority. I was yeah. hoping you were going to tell me uh, so okay never mind um, all right that's that was that was my uh, that was my cul-de-sac I was leading us down yeah, yeah. so this is uh, this is David Egan from um, now Knoxville um, yeah one of the things that is if I understood um, St. John Paul II's argument correctly, that he was saying that it was really a sacrament versus a pastoral office, whereas most of the Protestant churches look as the priesthood as a pastoral office, and all of us are called by our baptism to do the thing, to do the priestly ministry, but the office itself of a priest is a pastoral office versus the Catholic Church is sacramental. Is that... A yeah, semi-correct yeah, understanding. Th that's pretty much it. Is that um, when you think of the, 
holy orders that, that hands on the, the priesthood. It's a, it's a sacrament, therefore something happens, something changes, uh, that there's uh, sacred power is, is conferred upon the person who receives the sacrament. So we don't think of it as just an office that you could be elected to and then maybe resign from and, and then uh, go back to being a layperson. We think of it as something uh, per, you know, permanent uh, that, that the Church's teaching is that holy sac- uh, sacrament confers a, a character which is a permanent designation and uh, that affects, a, we call it ontological change, you know, uh, that actually changes the relationship that the person has with Christ and the Church so that he's now capable of, of making uh, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ present, including for a priest, the Holy Eucharist and the Sacrament of Reconciliation. So if you were in a Protestant church, it, it may be that they have a very high concept of the priestly, of the pastoral ministry, and they may even call them priests or pastors or ministers, and they actually carry out very many of the same form uh, functions, like governing the church and teaching and, and then, uh, administering baptism and celebrating Holy Communion uh, in such a way as they have it, but we don't believe that they actually are uh, equipped to fulfill the ministries, particularly the priestly section of the ministry, uh, because they haven't received the sacrament of holy orders from a bishop in apostolic succession. Now, now what about it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah, it <laughs> There's a lot is, of pieces to that. And uh, the the Anglicans, the Episcopalians, have had a um, yeah. a, a a view of the priesthood similar to the Roman Catholic, um, but yet they've they found their way clear to ordaining women. Do they, do they have a, yeah. a, a hybrid sort of uh, understanding that it's both ministerial as well as sacramental? Is that is that a road through for, for, for the Anglicans? Well, for, I, I was on the International Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue for some years, and we discovered we discussed this at length. You know, we, we had time and special meetings, and we tried to figure out how, if we had pretty much the same understanding of the of the holy orders or ordination, ordained ministry, how we could actually, uh, you know, come to some kind of consensus. But but we couldn't because, in effect, uh, after the Anglicans. Uh, not only in the United States and other English-speaking countries, but in, in in England, at the Church of England, when they decided not only to ordain women priests but ordain women bishops, uh, the Catholic Church said we can't we can't even imagine uh, any reconciliation of ministry after that because that represented actually, in a kind of odd way, it represented a throwback to a Protestant understanding of the ordained ministry, and uh, it it's not easy to explain and I don't intend to try to interpret Anglicanism you know on the spur of the moment like this but but there are a variety of positions in the Anglican communion some of them a very high church uh, understanding of, of priesthood and some more a low church understanding where they would uh, think that let's say they would be in favor of uh, in reconciling ministry with Methodists and Baptists and so on, so that they don't actually have a high church understanding. This is the peculiarity of the Anglican communion and and the Church of England, is that they actually represent a kind of political compromise, and they they attempt to comprehend both a high and a low view without making a, a discrimination. At that point, when the Anglican, when the Church of England decided to go ahead with the ordination of women bishops. Uh, Cardinal Casper at the time was the head of the of the uh, Pontifical Council for Com- for promoting Christian unity, and he went and said, "This is really the end of the line. Uh, we can't we can't I- anymore talk about uh, a, sub- a kind of communion uh, restoration of communion that we up till now had talked about. This this is uh, impossible for Catholics to accept. This so it was very serious." And it really, there's no, uh, there's no turning back on it because once they ordain women, then especially bishops, then the bishop ordains women bishops will ordain other priests and men and women, and then you have really uh, lost all claim to apostolic succession from the Catholic perspective, you know, from our point of view, not from their point of view because they don't, they don't believe that that Jesus' uh, choice of the twelve of 
12 men as his apostles actually factors into it they they assume that the uh, that the that the uh, prohibition of women's ordination rests on a, a faulty understanding of women uh, a, a mistaken uh, perception of women's dignity and their equality so because they they believe it's founded on some kind of discrimination against women uh, they they don't see it the same way we do uh, it, it looked like we had the same idea for a long time and uh, and I started writing articles that got published in the Chicago studies to say that it really isn't the same view of the priesthood. We're really talking about a different understanding of something that uh, is communicated, conferred by holy orders. And so um, that that's where we are now, kind of at a stalemate. It is it's helpful, however, to, to make, I mean, the, the question that, that you asked uh, Deacon, uh, was Deacon David? That's it's helpful to to distinguish between a Catholic and a and a Protestant understanding of the ordained ministry. Uh, that really is key. That the, the reason has to do with the twelve. If they're twelve men, then that and if you think those twelve men are the are the ones that are at the origin of holy orders and of the ordained ministry in the church, if you really think that Jesus intended those 12 men to be representative of himself, to, to be his his representatives, then it makes a difference that they were men. If you don't think the 12 men had a uh, had successors, if you don't think anybody took up their ministry but that the uh, in the apostolic church the ordained ministry grew out of a, a need and a, and a desire to have good order and faithful teaching. Uh, then, then you don't think the twelve, the fact that the twelve were men doesn't make any difference anymore. It doesn't. It's irrelevant. You know. That's actually what happened in the Church of England arguments. They they just really ignored the Catholic, uh, the the foundational Catholic piece, which was that Jesus indicated his will for the ordained ministry when he chose twelve men, and that they they put that aside as as uh, irrelevant. We are on WSFI 88.5 FM, the Deacon's Roundtable. We're talking with Sister Sarah mm -hmm. Butler, Professor Emeritus from the, the seminary down the road, University of St. Mary of the Lake. Uh, we're going to come up there and take a short break here, and we'll be back with Sister Sarah in just a little bit. And welcome back to the Deacon's Roundtable, WSFI here in Antioch, Illinois. 88.5 on your FM dial. We are here talking with Sister Sarah Butler about the issue of women and women's ordination in the Catholic Church. So, Sister Sarah, if I, if I may ask you, um, you know, we're we're not in the strongest catechized culture at the moment, and, and no. if we if we need to talk about this issue, which we certainly do, uh, to the average person in the pew, how, how do I how do I broach that issue and explain it to them without talking at a graduate seminarian type of level about <laughs> why can't women be ordained? We had 12 men. Why couldn't they ordain women? Because men and women were seen as not equal, and now they're equal in 2019. You know all the arguments that our listeners do mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. how, do, how, how do we explain that to people in a, in a language that they can, they can appreciate? Well, I think it's very hard. Uh, the first thing I try to do is discover what they think the, the argument is, because sometimes people are coming at it and they're thinking it's all about women and uh, a faulty view of women and a, you know discrimination against women. And if only people understood that women were equal, they would there, there wouldn't be a problem. So if that's the question, then I start with how the church's teaching about the equality of women has been refined and and clarified and made very explicit in the past 40 years and that this is not the reason. And then I say the reason really is that this historically, the fact is that Jesus chose 12 men as his apostles and it's always been understood that that choice was meaningful because it was carried forward in the apostolic church and in the apostolic church, the, again, there were there were women companions of Jesus, and there were women in the apostolic church who exercised the ministry, and were companions of the apostles. But they were not uh, included in the group that was uh, that carried forward Jesus' own ministry. So, so it depends on where they start. So, if if they understand that it's not about the status of women, but it's about the priesthood, then you have to clarify just what we were talking about before, that the Catholic understanding of the priesthood is that holy orders is a sacrament, and holy orders confers on those who receive it 
a, a sacred power to do what otherwise they couldn't do. It's not just an appointment or an election. Uh, it actually it, it, it makes them, equips them to function uh, in such a way as that they can carry forward the formal teaching of the, uh, the priestly and, and shepherding and prophetic uh, mission of Christ. Sister, I have to. That's I have not to, easy. Oh, yeah. Sorry, no, I have to say in, in, this, in this question of addressing people, I just uh, I, I pulled out the the Catholic Priesthood and Women: A Guide to the Teaching of the Church by uh, yeah. Sarah Butler, MSBT. I, I found myself underlining, like I just should have marked out what I wasn't underlining, because I I just highlighted the whole the whole thing. But what I found so helpful was that time and time again you returned to the fundamental reasons you made the distinction between well i, I guess is that is that the ordinatio sacerdotalis that makes that distinction between it, it, the fundamental it does, versus it, the theology uh, yes, actually i, I thought actually, that was so the, so useful the uh, the that was actually in the earlier document uh, inter in signoris the, the document from the congregation for the doctrine of the faith from 1976 okay that's it. So it said the fundamental reasons gave four fundamental reasons, and then it said there's a theological account that we give to try to explain why Christ may have chosen only men, and that is where you talk. They talk about here. We, this is the graduate school level. You know the iconic argument, the the idea that the priest actually represents Christ vis-a-vis -vis the church, Christ facing the church, Christ giving himself to the church and, and therefore it's appropriate for a man to carry that role uh, the, if, which is Christ's uh, role as the head and bridegroom. So the question about head and bridegroom comes much later and that is not the fundamental reason. That's just that that's important but it's uh, important because it says what we believe the sacrament to represent but the fundamental piece is historically it's always been kept uh, the tradition has been kept on the basis that only men were called by Christ. And, and the other and piece, the other piece here that I found, uh, you know, the remedial education for me. But it was it was good to read it again. That we don't define the uh, the entirety of the theology of a sacrament only through the scriptural reference that we understand a sacrament by virtue of scripture as well as tradition. The two together um, are what give rise to the, the modern Catholic understanding or the, the Catholic understanding up and, down the, up and down the centuries, that you need both of those pieces together. That's right. That, that is very important because, again, you say, well, what's the, what's the warrant for this? So, you know, on what basis do we make these claims? And say, well, it's always been done this way. It doesn't mean it's not just kind of a fusty old traditionalism. You know, it, it actually means that we have a tradition of sacramental practice that has been excluded, that has always reserved the sacrament to men. And there were many times in which that was objected to and people uh, even ordained women in the early church and they were cut off from communion with the Catholic Church because it was for many reasons. Sometimes the reason were, in fact, bad reasons. They might have been related to a kind of faulty view of women, but, but there were always this strong uh, drumbeat of Jesus Christ chose the twelve and the twelve were men, and this is, this is the, he set a pattern here that uh, indicates his, his will for the priesthood. So the tradition is, is not just a tradition of, of text, but actually it's more the tradition of practice, sacramental practice. And that so, sister Sarah, um, go ahead go ahead Dave uh, sister uh, one of the things that you brought up earlier which um, you made a comment which I think I would actually love to have you ex expound upon is that um, the ministry of the women of Galilee was equal to what the apostles was and it's, I've even heard it written before that you know Mary is considered the apostle to the apostles especially in the Pauline tradition um, and what her actions was, and Jesus chose her to be the first to see the resurrection. So, so I, I think that's a really important aspect. If I want to say, okay, Jesus chose these twelve, but he didn't exclude the women from an equal yeah. role. 
I think that is very important. I, I've tried to write something recently. Again, I think uh, many of the feminist, Catholic feminists have made a very nice contribution in calling attention to the fact that these other women were actually part of his company, especially in the Gospel according to St. Luke, uh, chapter one, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, it talks about Jesus to choosing the women and the women joining him. Just at the same time that he chose the 12, uh, these women I wouldn't say he chose them, but but they attached themselves to him and were part of his company. So we could say that all the way through the Galilean ministry, uh, Jesus was accompanied not only by the twelve, but by women, and that they were uh, the first to testify to his resurrection, and that they remained, uh, they were known in the early church, their names were remembered, they were remembered as the ones who were authorized to preach the the good news, uh, they were the... uh, test witnesses of Jesus, the risen Lord. So all of that, very important. And, and and then after you say how important it is, and particularly Mary Magdalene, that she's the apostle to the apostles and her dignity and, and the vocation that she had, but then you say, but they were not called to be members of the Twelve. And what's interesting is that, that that was the original argument from the fourth century, that they actually did appeal to those uh, women companions of Jesus and also to Our Lady and say, Jesus had women with him. He could have chosen them. It's not that he was opposed to women, you know, that he wasn't discriminating against women. On the the opposite, it was kind of scandalous that he had women accompanying him. And uh, and yet he didn't cho- uh, invest them with this authority. Uh, they have another, another vocation. They're also witnesses, also uh, disciples, but without uh, needing to have the same kind of uh, formal uh, authoritative role uh, to carry out their vocation. Now, the, the notion of the, the scandal, uh, so to speak, that Jesus would, would give rise to in, in this open association with women, we, we come to know that in the, in the Jewish context as uh, on the edge, uh, so to speak, by virtue of, of what? Uh, contemporary accounts? I mean, is this... Uh, Josephus, or uh, these would be uh, Jewish references that would put these kinds of strictures on male-female public interaction. Is is that where we get that I, that idea? I, I think it's from uh, yeah from, from rabbinic teaching at the time that we we can kind of reason back from some later rabbinic texts that are available. And also, uh, scripture scholars say it's the fact is that this not much was made of this. It seems like even uh, Saint Luke is the only one that really kind of highlights this. uh, Saint John for Mary Magdalene, but the idea that the twelve women that the women were accompanying him along with the twelve was probably kind of downplayed because it would have been uh, so so surprising. We know from from the you know his. Well, first century Judaism and this, the historical studies that women were not allowed to speak to men that they were not their husbands and they couldn't speak to men in public and they couldn't uh, certainly couldn't just leave their families and uh, take off on some kind of itinerant ministry uh, so uh, we have evidence uh, I mean, historians can give evidence of, of that and uh, then, background and then on the, on the other hand the, the other piece of the argument is that in the Greek speaking world uh, women, again, presumably contemporary commentary or evidence would uh, would see a much more public role for women as a possibility. Yes. Um, exactly. Yes. So that would not be so surprising. And so you can't say that that the uh, apostles going into the uh, Greco-Roman culture were somehow scandalizing uh, people by involving women in religious uh, worship because that was not a problem for them. They had women uh, priestesses and so on. Yeah. And, and so, but, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, just, say, but, uh, just the kind of uh, questions you're asking, you know, this is what people ask, and so you have to, you have to be prepared on, on a whole range of <laughs> possible questions, uh, depending on what arguments they've heard and what, what uh, arguments have they found persuasive. It, that's why it's so hard to discuss this with a group, even. Uh, people will come to it with different information that they've heard, uh, mostly objections, you know. <laughs> And I, I dare say, um, you know, I've, I've lived my entire life in, in, I guess, what we used to call, I don't know if we still do, but the, the first world. Uh, uh-huh. I don't have an experience of what it's like to live other than in the United States, except for, the, you know, the periodic trip to, to, yeah. to wherever. 
but I, I'm wondering, and I've I've read, and I just I wonder about your your view on it. Is that the degree to which this is a uh, so to speak first world problem? Um, that this has a particular poignancy here uh, to the degree it might not have elsewhere. Uh, on the other side of the globe, uh, do, you, do you have an I experience? I think that's yeah. I think that's true. I think people uh, people that are not uh, that not all these people are worrying about this. It's in the uh, northern global what they call the global north, you know, and in the English speaking countries where women's rights have been fought for so fiercely, and there seems to be such a uh, objection to any kind of. Uh, theory of complementarity of the sexes and all of that the, the, the cultures that have been impressed with that sort of uh, issue are the ones where this is a, uh, seems so so problematic which, which is which, yeah which is not to, to, to deny the legitimacy of of striving for equality uh, you know I, I don't think anybody here is 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 arguing to the contrary it's rather are we making uh, sacramental decisions by virtue of sociology or or uh, a, a modern worldview, and, and part of it, part of it too, uh, Deacon, is that um, people simply don't appreciate the, the baptism, <laughs> the baptismal vocation. Mm-hmm. Is they think that in order to count, to to be important, to to have everything, to be fully, you know, involved in the church, you have to be ordained, and that that simply is a, a very flawed understanding. Uh, that the full participation, I say, I always say to them, full participation belongs to the saints. You know, it's the the holy people who fully participate in the church's life. Uh, the different vocations to religious life or priesthood, or married life. You know, those uh, we we are called to those by God, and we live them out the best we can. But there's no special uh, road to holiness other than the saint. We all have the same road. You know, right. so it's not like uh, people. It, it's sort of like, it's a clericalism, you know, thinking that only clerics actually um, count or have a voice and so on, and that so, all that has been uh, is just a, a feminist illusion, you know. Sister, is the issue really then decision making versus ordination? Well, that's part of it. I I think yes that, that uh, for many women, it isn't that they want to be priests so much as that they want to have influence. And they expect that that influence probably comes mostly through uh, being part of a, an organization, you know, the institutional, the bureaucracy, and so on. And they see that that's who, who seems to have influence. And they, I hate to disillusion them from my experience. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You notice nobody's paying attention, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, they, they imagine that, that if you have a chance to preach, you know, you're really running things. I think that is a, again a mistake, and it just—it's kind of category mistake or something. So um, there are other ways to have influence. However, it is—it's—it's it's clearly the case that women have not been part of a lot of decision consultative bodies and decision-making bodies. So I've had an opportunity myself to be on many consultative bodies with bishops, and and I feel privileged to have that opportunity and I realize that it's it's a rare thing and most women don't get that opportunity but the fact is you have to have a certain um, preparation for it just as you if, uh, just a man uh, a layman being on a committee as a consultant would also have to have some kind of professional preparation or some experiential preparation that they would want to Invite, invite you to be a consultant. So uh, the, it's not something that could be settled by a quota system, you know, so many women will make a difference. And, uh, I think it has to do with, um, you know, opening up more of the consult, uh, more consultation to women, women taking the opportunity to be uh, prepared to offer uh, advice and then, and then finding a way to work that out. I, I, know, I know a lot of very well-prepared professional lay women who would like to have much more of a voice in what's going on. And I just and saw I, I saw a news article, I think it was uh, this morning, on the uh, proposed uh, reorganization of the Roman Curia, uh, yeah. and what's being proposed is uh, that the, the head of a congregation need not be uh, a cardinal, nor a bishop, nor even mm-hmm. uh, ordained. Uh, so, mm-hmm. to the extent that goes forward, um, there's rightfully a place for uh, the appropriate there is, 
Uh, whether that's going to work out, I, I wonder whether that's actually going to be acceptable. Because the fact is, is in the world of uh, you know in the real world, people want to deal with somebody who's uh, who has authority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, right. You know, like if you're having an ecumenical conversation, you have to have a bishop with you because they're going to have their, you know, whoever is the equivalent of a bishop in their church mm-hmm. there, and uh, and people won't want to deal with somebody who isn't, uh, who hasn't had that, doesn't have the same uh, apostolic office. I, I'm afraid, but it may work out. Who knows? I, w- I was happy to see that women and. Uh, I guess a Christian brother were appointed to, and it's a consecrated woman, were invited to be part of the consultors for the Congregation on uh, uh, Religious Life and mm-hmm. Apostolic Institutes, uh, Societies of Apostolic Life. That was very important. All right, we're at so I don't know. Sister, if I can excuse you from that, we're coming up on a break here on the w- uh, WSFI 88.5 FM on your Catholic dial. We are talking with Sister Sarah, and we'll be back getting into the uh, ordination issue of women diaconate after this uh, short break. Welcome back to the Deacon Roundtable. This is Deacon Greg Webster from St. Rafe of the Archangel, sitting with Mike Alandi, uh, St. Mary of the Annunciation, Deacon Dave Egan from Tennessee, and uh, Richard Hudzik, our Deacon uh, Vicar of the Archdiocese of Chicago. We're talking with Sister Sarah Butler about the issues of, of women in the priesthood, women's ordination. And we know, Sister, in, uh, recently we, we've had a whole bunch of uh, news about uh, Francis uh, forming a commission to look at women in the diaconate. I was wondering, in light of our conversation here, how does the issue change? Is it the same issue? Can you give us your educated perspective on this? Well, I think it is a different issue because just, you know, yourself in the, being deacons, that, that the uh, office of deacon is not the same as that of priest, and that doesn't include uh, representing Christ in his headship or bridegroom, but rather uh, Christ the servant, and, and it is something that could be a permanent vocation, as it is in your case. So women have made the case that since in the early church there's evidence that women were had a, a certain type of uh, deacon role uh, in for many years and for centuries actually in part, especially in the eastern church that why shouldn't women be or, uh, admitted to the permanent diaconate since it wouldn't necessarily imply that they were going to be candidates for the priesthood it, it wouldn't have any necessary connection with the priesthood uh, that is that they would be able to advance to the priesthood so the issue has been um, really been batted around. It's been explored uh, for a long time. In recently, in recent years, certainly, uh, along it probably was be- before the issue of women priests came up in the Catholic Church. It was a major issue, let's say, in the 1970s among Catholic women in the United States whether they, whether they could be deacons, and then it came up again after the uh, apostolic letter from Pope John Paul II saying that women could not be priests. So uh, as an issue, it's something that's been explored since the 17th century. It's been debated there books and books and, and studies and studies uh, both Catholic and Anglican and Lutheran, and but especially in the Catholic Church, have been done about women's ordained ministry and whether it's possible that the women who were known to have been uh, uh, ordained uh, as uh, deacons in the early church whether that couldn't be restored. So the issue is uh, ordination was used in a different sense then. So um, in the first place, if there were women who were uh, who who were the subjects of a rite, a ritual that looked very much like the ritual for men, and they were carrying out some uh, uh, ta- tasks for on behalf of the bishop, they were very much like those that the deacons were uh, carrying out. Uh, wasn't that also the sacrament of holy orders? And say, well, ordination wasn't you know the uh, the theology of the sacrament of holy orders really wasn't developed at that early stage and therefore the word ordination is used in a very broad sense so that uh, like uh, acolytes were ordained and subdeacons were ordained and lectors were ordained and kings and queens were ordained and people in monasteries were ordained so the word was used to to describe an installation into an office rather than the conferral of a sacred power through a sacrament and so the issues that the pope uh, pope francis has agreed to ha- agreed to have a study commission on what 
we said, what is the actual evidence? Is there any kind of scholarly consensus about evidence from the early church as to the nature of the of the ordination of these women? Was it sacramental? Was it was it the sacrament of holy orders, or was it more like a uh, the consecration of virgins or the um, installation of the blessing of an abbess or an abbot? And so that was really the question he asked them to study. He he didn't bring it up actually it was women religious superiors of women religious who asked him for a a decision about this and he said I'll get a committee together so as you know he had uh, appointed a commission of six men and six women uh, under the headship of uh, Cardinal Lodaria and and no no deacons on that commission I notice and there's no deacons on, on on the commission Oh, isn't that funny? I never noticed that. Yeah. Oh, I never de- noticed deacons that. Oh, for are, heaven's sake. We, de- isn't that we, funny? We deacons I mean, are always really <laughs> always attuned to any kind of slight. <laughs> that, that, is, that is really very very interesting. Well, I'm sorry to know that it wasn't. But anyway, there were people who obviously, uh, like Dr. Phyllis Sugano, United States uh, theologian, who's very interested in advancing the idea that women were ordained sacramentally and then many uh, of the others were, were divided on the issue. And as far as I could tell, I mean, they have not published the results, but the results are reported sort of indirectly by Cardinal Casper and then by the Pope himself, uh, saying that, that they could agree on a couple of things, but not, not on whether this was a sacramental ordination. Now, there was, a, there was an earlier uh, study from, was it not from the International Theological Commission on, yes. on this question? You were on that at some point on that commission. I was not on during that study. Okay. I was on right after that study was completed. I started in 2004. But that study took about eight years and it had been studied before for another eight years. So it really had been through a lot of examination. And as a result, they, they published this document that like came out in 2003 in English. And uh, the document said, well, it looks like the, the ministry of male and females who were in this kind of diaconal role was different, that, that the women were not exactly the equivalent of deacons, and that, the, uh, that it seemed unlikely that they were ordained in the same way as the sacrament of holy orders, because the unity of holy orders as a sacrament which is which has the three grades of bishop, priest, and deacon, uh, seems to require that they all be the same sex. You know, it would seem odd to have a different sacramental sign for a deacon than for a priest and a bishop if it's all one sacrament. So, two the two reservations that came up at the end of that other uh, earlier study were that they, they they actually didn't have the same ministry, and that they were that the uh, unity of the sacrament of holy orders seemed to uh, weigh against it. But since then, a lot of people wanted to keep on discussing it. So once you, know, once you get a decision, then people think of some objections that they had they hadn't thought of before. So uh, many uh, women scholars said, well, they really didn't do a very thorough study of the evidence, and there's a lot more evidence that they could have taken into account, and it doesn't look like they looked at it. So there was a great deal of... Uh, 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 there were people were say this is very incomplete that this is not adequate and then other people were saying uh, no uh, actually the whole idea of this the character of the permanent diaconate hasn't been very thoroughly studied and so in fact the International Theological Commission was more a study of the diaconate itself and the theology of the diaconate than it was about women's ordination to the diaconate so it was necessary, I think, to have this other commission. I think it was very useful. But in the end, uh, they, they evidently could not uh, come to any agreement. The, the Pope said the commission split. Whether that's half and half, I don't know. But some of those, some of those objections uh, about, say, the unity of the sacrament would still obtain. I mean, that's, that, that's, yes. that, 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 that looks like it's down at those, that fundamental reason uh, kind of Exactly, exactly. So that's been my argument. I I wasn't intending to start writing about the diaconate, but I got invited to give an opinion, and then here somebody said, would you write an article? And and so I know Dr. Zagano, and we've debated this back and forth publicly, in fact, fact, and I just think that that the arguments in favor of understanding the 
women's role, what I call deaconess's role, that, that those arguments, in fact, uh, do not take seriously the nature of holy orders as a sacrament. So I, I uh, find it unlikely that that there's any uh, expectation that we would have women joining the permanent deacons. Because a, a question I, I always yeah. always come to, and I don't know if it if it's practical or or, or, or what, if it's superficial, but I, I, uh, we have transitional deacons and we have permanent deacons. Are they receiving the same sacrament at ordination? Um, yes. Is, does yeah, that yeah. does that doesn't it cause isn't that troublesome if if you've got one flavor of deacons on the road to, to priesthood and the other uh, different and permanence as well and and male and female it, it seems like we've now got eight sacraments instead of yeah yeah seven. if you had women ordained to the permanent diaconate that would be a problem I think yes it's a problem in terms of sacramental symbolism because you can't all be symbols of of Christ who was and remains a male, you know, you, you can't, uh, you would have a different symbolism. In fact, as a, when I was invited to uh, offer an opinion on this uh, maybe 20 years ago, that was the first thing that came to mind. I said, the, the, the uh, rituals that we have from the early church about the ordination of, of women as deacons uh, have a different symbolism, that they are compared to Mary, to the women of the Old and New Testaments, to Phoebe, the deaconess of the New Testament, to even the Holy Spirit, but no, they're never compared to Christ. They're never, they're never said to be taking the place of Christ, whereas the male deacon is compared to Christ, and Christ is, uh, and, and to Stephen, the deacon Stephen. So that was the first thing that caught my attention, was uh, not only were they ordained separately, men and women, but they had a different uh, uh, simple system, symbol system in the prayers of the ordination. And so while they were ordained by a bishop in the sanctuary and hands laid on them and they got a stole and all looked pretty much the same, uh, in fact, the prayers indicated a significant difference uh, based on sex. And that, that's, uh, after that, I started uh, exploring that a little further. And that's, uh, I, I say they have a different ministry. They have a different uh, symbol system. They are not uh, ordained to represent Christ. The bridegroom by the head, or the, or even Christ the servant, because it is a, a servant role for a man, um, and therefore they they are, uh, what what they received was certainly a, a a formal blessing to carry out their work. Uh, one scholar that I know has says that she feels that they were ordained because they were going to carry the Eucharist to people, and so that uh, there was this special uh, blessing that they received was actually kind of like uh, extraordinary ministers as they were being prepared uh, to be the, uh, dis- to distribute the Holy Eucharist and that would require a sacramental um, consecration. So are we going to see a follow-up book to uh, Catholic Priesthood and the Women for uh, ca- uh, in the, if we're discussing <laughs> the diaconate from uh, you, Sister? No, you're not. <laughs> you're not because I, I mean I want to find out what the what happened at the on this commission, and they haven't released the report. They gave it to this community of to this uh, to this body of um, International Union of Superior General of Women Religious. They they gave them the report, but they haven't decided to publish it. That, so has, that hasn't it, leaked yet. I'm surprised it hasn't no, sh- I, shown I, up I on have, the internet I, someplace. I'm surprised too. Now, I wrote an article in. Do you get this? Uh, the Josephinum Diaconal Review. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask in you. The is, fall. Uh, in, in the past fall. It was in the fall of 2015. Oh, okay. That that was my that that's as much as I know about it. Uh, I don't have command of of the, those languages to be able to do the original research and so on. So I don't. Uh, all I know is that that's that's as much as I know is in that article. <laughs> I try to answer the objections of uh, Dr. Phyllis Zagano in that article. It's a great article. And so. I know that they used it on the commission. I know people had it and that they used it. So I felt like, well, it was good. I had a little opportunity to uh, be part of that discussion. But I think it is a, basically a misunderstanding of the sacrament as representing Christ, that, that there is a, a, something more than just fittingness. It's really necessary for a man to represent Christ in his role as the uh, uh, it, with respect to the church. That, that that's a, is not negotiable. 
it's not like it doesn't matter that he was, uh, theologically, that he was a male rather than a female. Now, Sister, you might, I, you might see more about that. <laughs> well, I'm just, uh, I, I feel like I've got uh, ask the expert anything here, so I'm just, I'm just dying to ask this, that, that the, one of the chapters in your book on the uh, priesthood uh, discussed John Henry Newman's uh, development of doctrine. And yes. I, I, I certainly find it, you know, illuminating. My question is, um, sort of like, who died and left John Henry Newman boss? Why, why, do we, why do we so often advert to Newman's articulation of when doctrine is appropriately developed or not? Or is he just, did he just do a good job of, of thinking this through? It's, it's both. He, he, he did a good job of uh, thinking it through, but also it's the, he, he is addressing the questions of the Protestant Reformation. He is picking up on precisely what was happening in the Church of England in the 19th century, in which there was a contest really between a kind of liberal Protestantism that took on the, the whole of the Protestant, of the Reformers' arguments, and, uh, and, and between those and the high Anglicans that had a more Catholic understanding. So he was uh, really addressing the questions of Protest that the Reformation brought up, and those are the same questions about the nature of the priesthood that, that we have to deal with today. In fact, with many other aspects of the Church's teaching. One time Cardinal George was meeting with the Archdiocesan Pastoral Council, and he said after the meeting, he asked people what were their issues. He said, all, all the issues but one had to do with the Reformation. All of them represent the fact that Catholics have been so influenced, really, by uh, Protestant thinking that, that we don't understand our own uh, legacy, our own heritage, uh, very deeply, and we, we tend to uh, move into categories that are more familiar to us, which are from the culture, you know. Sure. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Well, Sister Sarah, I'd like to, to thank you personally for spending this hour with us and to enlighten us on the issue of women women's ordination. Uh, I invite anyone in the WSFI uh, listening audience to uh, check out Sister Sarah's book, The Catholic Priesthood and Women, uh, for, for more detailed talk on this subject. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Please, God bless you in, in all your work. And Deacon Mike, why don't you take us out with a prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, thank you for this uh, roundtable, and uh, may the things we have uh, listened to from Sister today in the discussion inspire us all to apply the teaching of Christ, who chose man as his priests, and so possibly impact, positively impact our, our families and our community. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 You've listened to Deacon Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 FM, WSFI Radio on .org on your internet, and always we could uh, use your support. Please send your checks and your cash and your uh, goodwills to uh, to Angela here at WSFI. God bless everyone. Good night.